Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Simon? Robin, how are you? Ho, ho, ho. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas to the, uh, the slightly early in the schedule, Merry Christmas episode of Talking CFD Social. Yeah, it feels weird to be recording it in August, doesn't it? <laughs> oh you're a funny guy <laughs> no it's not we do it in advance but not that far in advance you'll never know well i think some of my schedule may very well reveal how far in advance if we talk about that later oh okay well we need to keep this tight because i have it on good authority that father christmas is going to be at my kids school at home time so if i cut this short okay. you know where i've gone <laughs> what's the what's the um podcast equivalent of leaving the room early i'm not sure what that is well, i don't know you'll have to finish it off so who knows okay <laughs> Ciao for now. um what have you been up to uh what have i been up to um quite a lot of client work that's been quite good unfortunately can't tell you too much about that yet um i've also been um enjoying some things on linkedin oh yeah um i think you've been enjoying them as well so i don't know whether you want to jump straight into the uh the fabulous world of the diversity of CFD simulations of the Cybertruck. Um, so that's been catching my eye. Um, been keen to catch up with you on some AWS stuff. I know you've been seeing the same okay. stuff I have. And I also went to a very interesting uh, talk on CFD by Dr. Neil Ashton. At, it was at Cranfield University, which given that I live in Cranfield, uh, it was pretty much a no-brainer that I was going to go to that. So that was quite cool and interesting. And somewhat relevant to the uh, Cybertruck CFD and the AWS stuff. So it's a uh, an interestingly in- intermingled web of stuff from me this week, I think. But it's almost like we planned it. I mean, that's ridiculous. So it must be nice to have a, be able to um, have a CFD talk almost on your doorstep. I mean, almost the equivalent of falling off your sofa into the lecture theatre. It would be. Um, so I live in the village part of Cranfield. Uh, the university's on the other side of the actual runway. So if it wasn't for the runway, oh, right. or or if they would let me get out the gate at the end of my road and walk across the runway, I literally could have walked there in five minutes, but I have to go round the runway. Yeah, I think there's probably yes. a good reason for that. Uh, yeah, oh, well, you can see the planes coming, can't you? Yeah, it's like crossing so. the road. It's crossing the road, isn't it? Yeah, but if they get these electric planes, then they might be really quiet, and then you know, like the electric cars, yeah, and you yeah. get run over. That's right. You just do what you teach your kids. Right, look right, look left, look right again. Is it clear? Yes. Yeah, this is look, look up, look down. Well, not look down. They're not going to be down, are they? They're really not going to be down. They got big flashing lights on them. It's all good. Um, yeah, and then we got us. We got to. Uh, We've got to touch on the uh, the two podcasts as well. Um, so uh, we're going to have to crack on, aren't we? Um, well, hang on, hang on, just a minute. What whoa, about your, whoa! What's been what's been going on in your world? It was all about me. What about you, Robin? Client work again. Um, it's nice to have some client work. I'm trying to sort of front load it. I want to get it out of the way before Christmas. Um, so if any clients are listening, which they won't be, but if they are, don't send me loads of stuff next week. So yeah, client work, bit of podcasting, usual stuff. Um, what are we going to start with? Should we should we jump on the Cybertruck? Yeah. Are we coming at this from the same place? Where where are you coming at it from? I, I was I was all for. I mean, I've I've calmed down a little bit, but I was all for starting a new segment of the show. Some like grumpy old presenter engages ramp mode section, um, and I don't think I'm quite there. But 
don't poke me too hard, otherwise I might end up there. Um, so I think we have slightly differing views on this subject, so I'm quite interested to have this chat. Um, I I was a bit frustrated with the variety of results that were being seen. Um, I My view was that that wasn't painting a particularly good picture of CFD to the outside world. Um, so I was a, I was a bit, um, I was a, embarrassed is too strong a word, but I was feeling, I almost felt the pain of the CFD world that it was being shown off in a way of, oh, look, I've done some CFD. It says this. And someone else says, yeah, I've done some CFD. It shows something actually quite different. And then somebody else did something as well, and it's all a bit different. Um, so the showing stuff all a bit different to the outside world and potentially making people who maybe know something about the automotive industry and are aware of CFD but don't do CFD, I wondered what view that was creating for them, and I thought it would either create a view of, well, CFD, that's not very good, is it? You get loads of different answers. Or, well, those folk that do CFD, they're not very good, are they? They keep giving you different answers. So the, the pre- presenting of a wide variety of answers um, to the outside world I found somewhat frustrating. I wonder whether the outside world would have noticed, and they might not have just looked at it. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. I uh, hadn't come across that before. Yes, I guess the challenge then is people from the outside world are like, oh, that looks pretty cool. Oh, look, somebody else has done that. That's not quite the same. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Mine was slightly different. Um, so having spent a little time in the automotive sector <laughs> and also having spent a little time with people who have been involved with Tesla at various levels and at various times, um, the, the, the sort of... The thing that annoyed me a little bit, and I say I, I've, I've calmed down now, was the way that some of the simulations were taken apart in terms of, oh, what turbulence model did you use? What boundary condition did you use? Are your wheels spinning? This, that, and the other. Whilst all very important, I, I'd like to refer everybody back to the fact that the geometry is wrong. Um, it, it doesn't matter what boundary conditions you've got on it, what wall functions you're using, whether you're doing DES, LES, DNS. Um, the geometry is wrong, so the answer is going to be wrong. Um, and you can't get the geometry right by looking at some pictures off the web. What's underneath, for example? What's behind that front section? Um, what's the radius over that top edge? Um, where are the uh, where are all the little um, joints and, and fillets and things like that that you don't know about from a picture from somebody who's been involved in these kind of styling exercises the you can make a car radically different in performance which to the casual observer looks exactly the same just taking a uh, some pictures and making some CAD and then doing some CFD I'm all for that that's brilliant but don't pretend don't think that it's real and don't bother tearing it apart um, down to the uh, the nuts and bolts because your fundamental is wrong. So just accept that and just took some nice coloured pictures of it. I think some people were out to try and suggest that Tesla don't know what they're doing. Um, they do. And not I'm not a Tesla fanboy or anything like that, but I do know that some of the, some of the work that they've gone into their aerodynamics is first class the cooling pack on a model s is amazing um and that's that's my automotive 
fanboy, not Tesla fanboy. So those guys know what they're doing. I just like the pictures. I, d- I don't want to drill into it. I like the fact that people could turn it around over the weekend. I agree. Um, I like the pictures. I guess the for me, it was a messaging thing. So um, absolutely agree with everything you've just said about, oh, yeah, the geometry is not quite right. Therefore, stop worrying about all the other second level details. But I think... I can't remember. I read some of the posts and it wasn't the people's comments. I think it was one of the original posters. Uh, and there was all this talk about, does the boundary layer separate off the pointy apexy bit on the top? Uh, and some of the CFD showed that it did and some of the CFD showed that it didn't. Um, and I think there was one, it was either the author or somebody who was directly referencing the first piece of work. Uh, and they said something like, I'd be willing to bet money the CD is lower than that of a sports car on the basis of that results. And I was just like, if, if you're going to make those statements, then there's people who have the similar frustrations to me uh, who are more forthright in their LinkedIn responses that may very well let you know their thoughts. So if you're going to make statements like that, I don't think you should be too surprised to get that sort of feedback. Yeah, I guess if you're the poster and you're also um, inferring something from your results, then uh, then you've set yourself up. You can uh, you can fall on that your own sword. So the, the other thing then, so um, slightly different views between yourself and myself. I guess the thing that it made me think about was our good friend, democratisation. Oh, yeah. Which we've talked about a lot, right, in the past. Uh, heard of it. It's been a, and we've talked about the benefits of, you know, the cascade of um, tool sets, HPC, down um, from what was previously called CFD specialists or analysts or whatever into design engineers and people who have got practical problems to get on and solve, and it's a good thing for them. And we all agree on that. That's great. Um, not What's one thing we didn't really get to talk about, I don't think, and I don't Uh-oh. think anybody else has talked about, has been, well, okay, so democratization, is it universally good? And I thought, actually, this thing on this Cybertruck CFD on LinkedIn might be an example. If you took my view, and if you didn't take my view, you'd obviously disagree with me, that to say, well, okay, the potential downside of democratization is if you're putting, um, making these tools very easily accessible, then you shouldn't be surprised to get reasonably different i refrain from using widely different but reasonably different results from your cfd tool sets uh depending on who's using it so i guess it depends really whether you think what's happened on linkedin is good or bad from that perspective but i would just made me think about is there something in democratization that's a potential downside that people should be aware of which is okay so now you've got this cascade of tools into the hands of people who can make good use of them you might want to be aware of the fact that you're going to have to manage slightly wider ranges of results that you see as a result of that yeah i guess in this particular case i'd just refer you back to they're all running different geometry that they've drawn off the top of their head who knows what size anything is or scale or speed or or whatever i'm not surprised given the number of levers and buttons you can push that you came up that people came up with different examples i mean perhaps what we need is some sort of standardized aero model that we could work on and, and compare that's uh, incredibly clever, Robin, incredibly clever. Um, so I went to a talk by um, Dr. Neil Ashton, um, and he was talking about some such model, the drive air model. I'm assuming that's where you were going. Yeah, there and his, um, and his vehicle aero conference yes. thing that he's got in Oxford, which are you going to? Uh, I've decided to go to. 
Uh-huh. So uh, that would be fun. Um, I figured it's local. It's not quite as local as Cranfield, but, you know, it's an hour in the car. Come on, Simon. Um, and it's uh, if you look at the agenda, it's quite academic heavy. So that's interesting to me to see where academia is going with automotive CFD and interested just to hear what you know what's going on. So, uh, yes, I'm off to a trip to Oxford, uh, which I've never been to. So that was the other reason. I think You've never been to Oxford? Least. Well, I've been to Oxford, but I've never been to Oxford University. So I thought I'd go and stay there for a bit and see what it's like. All right, go to Ole and Steed. Look that up later. But um, okay. Danish Bakery, Mwah, very good. Uh, okay, splendid. Uh, uh, is that uh, okay? It, hopefully that's just like outside the college I'm staying in then. It's not. Days. But anyway, carry on. Um, well, so this is um, organised by Dr. Neil Ashton, who did this talk in Cranfield that we've been, uh, we mentioned. Uh, the talk in Cranfield was uh, super interesting. It was a lot about turbulence modelling, unsurprisingly, because that's what uh, Neil Ashton does a lot of work in. Um, but it was a very useful reminder about some of the problems that RAND's models have, um, particularly with regards to whether boundary layers are separated or not. Because in general, RAND's models don't generate the, um, don't predict the amount of turbulence energy that you see in experiment so they don't have the energy that the experimental turbulent boundary layer has so they don't stay attached or reattached uh, as well as experiment does so this is kind of relevant to our good friend Cybertruck um, because then you say well okay people asking what RAND's models have you used is potentially relevant um, and it was even more relevant because there's a very good example from I don't know how well you know the armored body. It's essentially uh, a little bit of a rounded um, oblong with a slanted roof section. Um, and some of the RANS benchmarks basically fall over when you change the angle of the slanted roof section from 35 degrees to 25 degrees, I think. So again, this made me think, oh, well, what's the angle of the apex on the, <laughs> of the top of the Cybertruck? Um, so that was, you know, quite... Uh, I was enjoying the uh, coincidence of those two things in my life last week. Um, Because it's like, okay, your RAS model is probably going to get that wrong if the angle is 25 degrees, not 35 degrees. Um, So that was, well, that was just, it was a nice talk because um, Neil Ashton did a very good job of uh, explaining all through this in an hour or so. Um, And it also reminded me of some of the intricacies of RANs that I'd sort of forgotten for a while. I imagine that kind of light bar along the top of the, Cybertruck is probably sort of some kind of plasma boundary control device and it just <laughs> slucks it over the top and down the back. Superheating the air. They do have them. They do exist. Get one of them on there. If somebody was going to do it, Elon Musk would do it. If it was going to be somebody, it'd be him. Absolutely. Yeah, I quite like the uh, the old Ahmed body. It's um, the, uh, the whole point of it was that it ha- only really has one feature. So you can try and chase that down that one single feature of that backlight angle no all interesting stuff what's that all models are wrong anyway yes but some of them are useful apparently some um, of them, some but of the them other are. thing i'll just <laughs> well be it absolutely um, but just on that reference uh model conversation something i was just going to drop in for people who may not be aware of it nasa do a very good website uh it's nasa tmr that stands for turbulence modeling resource and they've got lots of uh what you might think to be simple experimental data so flow over a hump in a channel um 
that's a very good reference for turbulence model validation for those people who like to do that sort of thing. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there. It's some nice data sets. They've got some grids as well. Um, so if you're doing any turbulence model uh, development or checking, there's a good research uh, resource there from your friends at NASA. What's funny about these things all the time is however simple the geometry looks from the uh, from these experiments, it's still super hard to match. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was just, like, you know, cyclic humps in a channel. So periodic, you go over a little, like, first half of a sine wave, flat bit, second half of a sine wave. And basically, the flow detaches over the first hump and reattaches somewhere in the middle. Um, but it doesn't in CFD. <laughs> it's like, okay, so you've just got two humps and it's wrong. Hmm, these F1 cars, okay. Um, so, it, you know, it's a good pause for thought um, and gives you good perspective. But it's also really... I think valuable to be very clear about what the fundamentals are and the reasons for some of these differences, which is um, your Reynolds, your Rand's models don't give you the same level of turbulent shear stresses that you'd see in real life. So we know why, it's just a matter of fixing it. Now, I was going to go to the 52 episode with Jens, but actually I'm going to skip over that and go back to that, but talk Flying Cars and Patrick, that episode, because what you were just talking about, about Rand's modelling, about knowing your methods and um, kind of understanding the fundamentals is something that he was talking about quite a lot. Um, I don't know if you noticed. Um, I did. And so I think that is a uh, an interesting segue. What did you reckon to that episode? Yeah, um, really enjoyed it, um, and particularly along the lines of what you've just, the link you've just made. Um, I loved his many watches analogy um, about the different methods uh, and approaches that you can apply to the problems. I thought I thought that was awesome, just for a case, a very clear example of you've got a watch, you look at it, you know the time, you're happy, um, and then you get another one that's slightly different, and then you start to panic. Um, and I just, um, it was, uh, it gave me a warm feeling to know that there's someone like Patrick who's using a multitude of methods and uh, he doesn't continue with what he's doing until they all agree to win the level he expects them to. Um, and I think that's a super powerful approach. You can spend lots of time talking about validation. Um, I personally prefer to talk about confidence rather than validation, but that's another conversation in itself. There are a number of different ways that you can do things to give yourself confidence in the answers that you're reporting. And I think... Well, of methods that Patrick described of using a number of different tools, approaches, maths, um, and getting them to all align is a very nice way to be confident in the answers that you're providing. How do you reckon that plays in when you're only using one tool? Well, <laughs> that's the question then. So that's always the thing for me is if you're only using one tool, what? how can you explain to somebody how confident you are or aren't in the results that you've got from that tool? And so if, you, if you've got that breadth of, well, okay, I've, I've rolled out my Navier-Stokes solver with some rands and here's how I've done it, and I've got my pen and paper out and I've done some lifting line theory and how, here's how I've done it, and look, they're within 2%, then you know that you find it difficult to not be in a confident position as long as you've been thorough in your approach to both of those things. So I don't, I think for me, probably the, the breadth is better. You know, the more diverse, if you've got something quite heavy lifting wise on a cluster using rands and far right volume at one end and you've got some sums that you've done on a bit of paper at the other um if you they get, agree and they agree you know you've been quite by 
by necessity you've been quite high level and made some assumptions to, to do your maths otherwise you'd you know, disappear into a, a world of uh, integrals and differentials which is why you use your um, CFD solvers but you know if you can apply a breadth of approaches and you get the relatively high level assumption driven ones to agree with your more specific ones I think that puts you in a good spot um, so yeah I, I was uh, I was warmed by Patrick's approach to those things on a on a related bit I quite like well I, I very much liked the um the sort of the the history the 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 digging in the archives aspect of these things you know you'd think that uh, a flying car or an eVTOL or whatever these kind of overgrown drones that are going to fly people about um cutting edge um new tech startup mentality all the rest of it but yet there's value to be had by going and digging in the nasa archives and um, finding out how they did some of this research around the early days of helicopters and going back to previous codes which and maybe even resurrecting those codes which on today's hardware are like lightning um and um having that appreciation of the the past making for a, a a better product and a better um a better development process now i i, uh, I like that i think you can um very easily grab hold of the newest technique and throw the other ones in the bin or um say this doesn't apply here when in in a lot of cases what's gone before is still just as important as as what you're doing I think so. I think it's really useful to be able to have that perspective. So it's like, oh, okay, yeah, 10 years ago when they did it like this, these were the problems. Oh, we don't have those problems now, but, oh, the answer's a bit different, or, you know, whatever that is. Um, so I think, you know, Patrick's ability to go quite deep into that background, and I guess part of that's his, his own history of, you know, starting his own company and writing code himself from scratch gives him that nice platform to be able to go and understand some of the other things some of these other codes that like you say now are just ridiculously fast uh, and to be able to make them valuable when it's quite easy to go oh yeah but they're what 20 years old and we can do this yeah. this idds thing now so well no actually 20 years ago look you couldn't really do this because you didn't have the computers and now you have as a valuable um, numerical approach there so to be able to kind of leverage that history i think just makes um i guess what he I can't terrafuge it is. Yep. Have I got that right? Yeah, there we go. My memory's not not as bad as I thought it was. Yeah. Um, you know, so you just you know, in terms of his what he does for those guys, I think that must be super valuable. Valuable being able to not only know that some of this information exists and some of these techniques have been used, but to actually go and derive some value from that knowledge and do something with it for that application. So I think that's super cool. But also to have that kind of um, that kind of approach, where I've seen it far too many times, where you'll you'll meet somebody with vast experience, and no, we did that in 1988 on such and such, and it, it didn't work. Okay, so that's now discarded forever, is it? Um, you know, the ability to sort of take what's gone before and blend it with some new stuff without just either writing off all the new stuff or on, on the uh, flip side, writing off all the old stuff as, as ancient, um, being able to, uh, to, to blend that together, I think is uh, a very good skill. Yeah. And I guess the other one there is the, um, is the need for accuracy. So in your, I think a lot of the conversation was around cruise conditions. Um, I, I, 
oh well, I'm pretty sure the CFD gets super challenging if you're in takeoff transition to cruise. Um, but just in terms of a, you know, a purist accuracy perspective, the need for the CFD to be sufficiently accurate that you can be making uh, ergonomic and bodywork changes with regards to range against the uh, power in your um, electric batteries was, you know, I guess it's, I mean, it's the same thing in the electric vehicle market at the moment, right? Yeah, except um, for yeah. if you run out of battery and you Tesla down <laughs> yeah, the motorway, then you have to get somebody to turn you to the other yeah. end. Yeah, if you run you're not out of your EV tool, yeah. you're in big jobs. Yeah, um, yes. <laughs> but, you know, I guess that's, I, I think that was something that um, Neil Ashton touched upon as well, which is actually drag coefficients are now like super critical compared to in the heyday of, well, I don't know, maybe it's still oh, the Oh, no, you're going to press me on the button. Don't do it. Don't don't finish the sentence. Uh, what can't I say? Tell me what I can't say. Don't you don't <laughs> suggest that now drag is more important for battery-powered vehicles. I'm just, uh, I'm keeping a lid on it, but don't do it. Okay, well, that's what I was going to do. No, you were. Uh, you were but you I were won't. Okay, but no, because we're going to talk what... about Prion Lab now, aren't we? You, okay, that's fine. So, so um, uh, find a moment of zen and try and explain to me what, why. Why <laughs> I didn't realise that uh, you had this button that I could have pressed a long time ago, else I probably would have pressed it by now. Um, what's uh, what's the nature of your frustration of this topic that I've unceremoniously wandered into? Why is why is aero more important on a battery powered car than it is on uh, any other car? Uh, well, so I'm not going to suggest that my answer is absolutely correct. My The perspective I was taking, trying to tread very carefully now, uh, is that it's all about um, citing range as part of your marketing uh-huh. brochure. So you've got a battery of a given power, and if you've got a lower drag, you can cite a higher range. You never really had to make that marketing play with uh, gasoline or diesel engines. No, that's right. So that doesn't really explain why it's more important. It explains why it's more important to manufacturers because yes. um, you're quoting the whole range of the vehicle, which you can have a a reasonable impact on with the aero, as opposed to maybe miles per gallon, which you know boils it down to to um, much smaller, less impressive sounding numbers. That in the end it's the consumer that's paying for rather than the uh, the manufacturer so it's i don't think that aero is more important for battery vehicles than it is for gasoline or internal combustion engines it's just that it's much more important for the manufacturer so they're making much more noise about it and more effort um because your the electric cars at the moment are being sold heavily around their range and um, if you're behind the eight ball with the uh, range then it's not going to look too good Um, however it was quite acceptable to be uh, burning loads of gas that when it wasn't impacting sales and uh, and it didn't really matter I think it's um, it's just who it's become important for rather than whether it was or not yes okay I I stand corrected Um, I see you have a environmental slant on you which i entirely agree with so yes it always has been important but not um i guess it's more in people's face it's more in people's faces now and it should yeah it should have been in their faces it should have been yeah anyway 
There we go. We're still, still on the I, automotive. I was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you guided me through it. Well done. <laughs> still on the automotive tip. What about the um, about Prion Lab? Did you check out the windscreen wipers? Yeah, they look super cool, don't they? Um, love I it. love all. Not going to do that in a uh, uh You know, you could, but um, yeah, but I'm not going to. But what I was going to say, it's probably be Christmas next year before we <laughs> we could talk about how that went. Um, yeah, so um, I was super interested um, in the application and the technology side. Um, the bit that made my ears prick up was something to do with the mathematical approach. It sounded to me like Jens was saying there's some Eulerian bits in the methodology, so it's not completely Lagrangian particles. Um, it's special but I haven't prion special special prion Eulerian bits, uh, and that obviously uh, they're not. It's not going to be a Googleable thing for them to go. Oh, here, Simon, here's how we do it. No, um, although, and this doesn't really answer the the question. They have just open sourced their C plus plus math library, prion math. Um, so I don't think it tells you how it how it does it. It's just the the libraries for doing it. Um, but you might be able to infer some of that from uh, from what's in there. But uh, okay. it, link, link's in the show notes. Cool. So I have a quiet moment over the Christmas break where I can, you know, sw- slowly leave the leave the party and come upstairs and sit at my desk and read some C++, then that will be on my list. Um, that's cool. Um, I will have a look, actually, because I'm quite interested generally in the smooth particle hydrodynamics space. Um, I've been... I played with dual. I don't know how to pronounce this. <laughs> dual dual S physics, but yeah, yeah. it's kind of SPH. SPH is in capitals in the physics. You have to see it. Um, yes, then you'll understand. Um, I had a look at that. Oh, that was quite a few years back now, maybe even five years ago. Um, I ran some of their just um, test cases. Um, for interest but now i think there's i think there's more of an angle to be picking that up there that community community is developing that tool set quite well it's linking it to some other uh, multi-body dynamics codes things like chronos i think so that you can have floating ships and floating ships that have got propellers and engines and floating ships that can barge into each other all that kind of stuff uh, so yes i think it's definitely creeping its way up to the top of my shiny things list to have a good proper look at i liked the little comment fairly early on where uh, they were talking to pixar and it was too too physical for him can we just make it a bit more like this well no because that's this is how it is um <laughs> in, in real life uh, what just just animate it however you want if you want to animate it i guess yeah i mean that's an interesting <laughs> it's an interesting point because i uh, i can't remember the software but I was I came across it a while ago where it's software that is very much about the movie making uh, kind of consumer animation bit uh, and there's some physics in there um, but they obviously want it to go quick and it doesn't have to be validated it just has to look very nice and believable but I, it's just quite interesting what bits of they they've obviously got somebody who knows the maths and the physics to go oh you can just take this bit out or turn that bit to zero or something to make it still eminently believable, but not true and accurate. But um, anyway, back to the pre-on lab stuff. I think yes, um, you were you were um, going off down the very um, visually appealing route, which I think is great. But for me, the thing that I like is if you can combine the visually appealing bit 
um, you know, in terms of it looks nice. And what you're seeing is in some way insightful with regards to why you did the simulation in the first place. And if you can tag some accuracy validation on the back of that, then for me, that's your kind of, that's your winning combination of things you'd want to be showing to people, right? That looks nice, shows you something that is useful to you and is accurate. Um, well, you know, you, you've got nowhere left to go. You've, you've done your job there, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think some of that was jealousy on my part, having spent <laughs> a lot of time with simulation results, trying to make them look more exciting than they were because fundamentally, you know, some flicked up streamlines behind a race car and a bit of a pressure contour isn't, you know, it's not that visually appealing, not compared to uh, some of the stuff that they were showing. Um, so yeah, there's a, there was a definite, uh, definite green eyed monster bit there where, uh, Oh, I'd have given my eye teeth for uh, a splashy gearbox model. Do you, um, do you know if they do their visualizations in their own tool or if it's yeah, a blender they do, yeah. or a para, it's all it's all in the same package it's all in go there, off yeah. and do some blender stuff or paraview it's all no i think there's like a i'm not sure whether it's quite as straightforward as a button but there's a, like a an option to flick between colorful fluid dynamics and the uh, you know when you're rendering your fluids as yeah. water and what have you and you can yeah, i think you can show the uh, the particles and things like that as well so there's there's all different modes but yeah no i believe it's all kind of all in-house they uh, they we didn't really touch on it but they kind of pride themselves on having a, a very different ui in their software to most other codes it, it's i think um jens described it to me as more like um I think he described it as a non-linear editor. So something like um, Adobe Premiere or Final Cut Pro or something like that for editing videos. It's, oh, okay. it's more along those lines. Sort of looks like more like an Adobe tool than a... Uh, than a um, CFC package. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, I guess the, the other thing that I found interesting was the automotive focus because I I wouldn't have picked that as where you'd start. Really? Smooth. The smooth particle hydrodynamics. I mean, I mean, I know the applications, and we talked a little bit about kind of gearbox and uh, wading simulations of cars, but I, I don't know. I just, I guess it's probably my own erroneous preconceptions that that kind of automotive CFD sector was, you know, relatively well addressed by finite volume and your big players. But I guess that's just my me missing, a gap, me missing a gap that those guys have seen and just jumped straight on it. I guess there's so many different aspects that you could um, attack within automotive that perhaps uh, the finite volume codes aren't particularly well suited to. If, you, if you're getting down to um, things like that windscreen wiper performance or... Um, lubrication or my favorite named topic of uh, of soiling come up with a better name than that um there's loads of interesting things that would be potentially tricky to to attack in a kind of finite volume manner um and i don't know whether it's just me picking up on it but it seems to be a bit of a trend where these tools are they're going after kind of a niche within a niche as in that we're not here to we're not here to replace what you've got we're here to augment it. We're here to do this bit that you can't currently do economically. Um, and, and just that bit alone, um, I'm thinking, maybe I'm thinking of Converge with the engine yeah. simulations. Yeah. I'm thinking of um, Prion Lab with some of those types of, of um, di- more dynamic interactions. And 
I think Invenio were looking at that kind of market, the um, RIP um, Invenio. But, um, you know, they were looking at turbocharging the, the unsteady simulations in a way that you might not be able to have, have done with your, your current model. Um, so they weren't going after the whole thing. They were just going after, like I say, a niche within a niche. Now, from a business point of view, ooh, I, I'm just scratching my head there because how, how big is the... Uh, the niche within a niche I, I really don't know but um, if you're delivering huge value to what is relatively large companies who uh, can can derive big savings or, or new developments from that then uh, it's, it's probably a lucrative market especially when you've got something like AVL as a distributor already plugged into this market and can go well you know that stuff you were struggling with this is what you need and if it really hits that spot then brilliant yeah, I guess from the kind of client side, if you're thinking like big automotive companies, you would fairly assume that they're sufficiently well set up to be receptive to a range of different simulation techniques, given that they'll have a good yeah. understanding of the different problems they've got. I mean, would you say Tesla haven't done any smooth particle hydrodynamics for wading of their Cybertruck? Right, they probably have. Somebody, do you know what I mean? It's yep. they know enough about the the challenges, and they know enough about the tool sets that are available out there. That why you know it's surely in their best interest to be receptive to the niche within a niche, just because you can you can identify the value for it quite clearly. It's so difficult to get visibility into some of these huge companies as well, and I think even some of the companies are so big that it's even difficult to have to have visibility within the company what one area is doing yeah. versus another one, um, what one research group in one corner of Europe is doing versus the same, essentially the same research group in Japan or North America or wherever that research group might be. Um, they, they're given a degree of autonomy to go out and, and do things slightly differently just in case one of them happens upon something. If you give them all the same tools and essentially the same resources, then don't be surprised if they all come back with the same answer. And that at a certain group level um, particularly in R&D, it's not a good thing if everybody's just coming back with the same answer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's half the challenge, isn't it? Managing information flows at that scale is just, uh, yeah, needs a department in itself to look after it. It does in a big company, yeah. Um, what have we found on the interwebs this week or this intervening period? Uh, well, do you, do you want to take the lead on the AWS stuff? Because I know we, we both kind of... We've uh, been swimming in the same pools. <laughs> yeah, I mean, apart from not being able to move without getting run over by a Cybertruck, um, the main thing that I was um, following, I guess, was the uh, the saga that is the, the AWS, big AWS conference. Um, I'm a big AWS fanboy, um, do all my simulations over there, as I probably mentioned. Um and they have this big event in Vegas that gets seems to get longer every year and, and get more and more elaborate. They seem to be pushing quite hard into um, HPC. And there were a few announcements and a few um, bits of interest that popped out of there from a CFD point of view. And one thing, um, without having to read across and, and say, oh, yeah, maybe we could use that for CFD, was there was actually a, a presentation on um, on the Monday night um, from Formula One, as in Formula One, the governing body, not a particular team or anything like that, about how um, F Formula One, the entity, had been using CFD in the design of... 
I've got I've lost track a little bit. Is it the 2021 car? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so they've they've put in some big reg changes in, and they want to um, they want to improve the show. So they've done probably more work than I've seen them do in house before. I mean, they, they've always done lots of stuff, but they've farmed it out to various places. But they seem to have done a load in house, and that included a fair number of core hours of CFD, open foam on AWS. On a um, using the AWS Parallel cluster, um, so interesting that uh, that that's the route that they took when you know they must be falling over themselves with one cash and two um, partnerships that could have come in and helped them out. I mean, they already have an existing partnership with AWS because they have AWS Insights on the uh, on the Formula One coverage of you know like live corner speeds and things like that. But um, so there's obviously a tie-in and a partnership there, and there's some synergy between the the, the brands, obviously. But um, interesting to see that. There's a I'll link in the show notes to an article. It, there was a presentation which was kind of buried within another presentation, and but there was a, a couple of articles that did quite a nice summary of it with a few details, like I say of. Uh, it being not super detailed, but you know, it being open foam and it being AWS parallel cluster that they used. And I think it might have mentioned the, the instance types. I'm not quite sure, um, but certainly kind of how many core hours they did and simulations and that sort of stuff, all the vanity metrics, um, but interesting nonetheless. Do you, um, do you want to take a wild guess at who was doing the CFD? Oh, why do you know? Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah. Was it you? No, <laughs> I don't know how to take that. Whether you're like it's never going to be here, or whether you thought it might actually be, it was uh, Dr. Neil Ashton. I'm disappointed. I thought it was going to be you. You did a good job of that. You've Thank got you a, very you've much. Got, you've got the uh, you've got the heritage. <laughs> well, you know, I would have. Uh, I'm wondering whether I should put myself in in that field a little bit more. Um, I don't know how much more automotive I've got in me, to be honest with you. That's another conversation for another time. Ooh, um, but anyway, um, it was interesting because this was being played into the uh, conversation that Neil was having around Rand's modelling um, and the fact that. He decided to push with the DES approach for the FIA work because of some of these concerns that you've got around the RANS models that we've touched upon. Uh, and they'd obviously gone through a process to uh, be sufficiently confident that the DES was the way to go for the 21, 2021 spec geometry, um, which obviously we'll find out about. But, I mean, Rob Smedley was showing some of those videos of the upwash. from, And, you know, that all looked quite like what you'd want to do, right? Yeah, links in the show notes. Um, they, they was unfortunately it was kind of embedded in a much longer talk, and there was another bit in that talk where um, one of their sort of superstar AWS kind of evangelists, if you like, um, a guy called Peter DeSantis. He um, he was explaining some of the how the the their HPC bits are working, how they've um, added this elastic fabric adapter where you can uh, get super good interconnect across the uh, the instances and how they've turbocharged that. So that was pretty interesting from a nerdy point of view. Um, so how, how much do you know I, how much do you know about that? And that's a loaded question because I'm about to start having a play with that sort of stuff. Um, and the reason I haven't, because what I've seen so far of the EFA stuff was there was a little bit of um, the IT logistics to make it all come together, which I didn't have a handle on how much it was. 
but from what Peter DeSantis was saying, I got the distinct impression that it was all now relatively out of the box as long as you choose the uh, choose your instance type from the subset that's got EFA enabled and you can configure it all with P cluster, then you're up and running. And I don't know whether that's true or that was my hopeful uh, biased view. But when he when he basically said, we've tried it on all these applications and he had a big, the, the big massive screen behind him, basically had a whole bunch of had Ansys on there and he had an open phone yeah. in the bottom left-hand corner and I was jumping out of my chair. I was like, woo, right, open phone, out the box, EFA, let's go. Um, but I don't know if I'm going to fall flat on my face or not. So I'm really interested in your views on how quick and easy that's going to be to get up and running. I believe it is similar to what you suggest, um, particularly as that open phone stuff, I believe, was um, some CFD direct work. They they um, did some, some work on that. I think they got a bit of a early access to the... Um, the uh, appropriate instances and they they did some work on that and i believe if you use their um cfd direct from the cloud or whatever it's called tool that um, you can fire up a, a um, efa enabled cluster and, and do good things quite quickly i believe you can use the aws parallel cluster um, stuff which i think used to be called cfn cluster or something um and, and get on with that it's only on a kind of very limited subset of instances. There's only a few that, that use it. Um, if they suit your application, then definitely time to have a play with it. I don't believe it should be too grey hair inducing. I haven't played yeah, with it because uh, I, uh, I tend to be horizontally scaling rather than uh, vertical, if you know what I mean. Yeah, okay. I mean, I guess I wasn't sure whether it required any um, compiling flags when you compile OpenFoam, you know, in the kind of MPI type way or not. You can um, find out by the time you've made a cup of tea or whatever. Yeah, I'll do that. Anyway, so um, yes, I think EFA on AWS is um, now about to head into the boxing ring with um, Smooth Particle Hydrodynamics. Ah, very good. And the only other one, that, the only other thing that I picked up from there, which isn't available, so we can't test it at the moment, was some interesting um, ARM chips, ARM chips, um, that they are, they've kind of commissioned their own chips that are squarely aimed at um, Xeon rather than the ARM chips that they've had previously, which have been kind of low end. Um, okay. the, these ones are squaring up to Xeon chips and supposedly sort of comparable to some of the epic uh, amd chips what in, on a on a memory access bandwidthy thing or something else because okay i don't know i can't remember the name of the cluster but um i know there's the re- a research group down at exeter um gavin tabor professor down there he posts on linkedin a little bit um, and i've heard him say good things about an arm specific cluster that he or they use with regards to open phone performance. So that's there's definitely a good amount of momentum direction already. So AWS picking it up, that's definitely worth a look see. Yep. It um they're claiming kind of about forty percent price performance advantage over the um the Intel based instances. So that should be super interesting. Well that's firmly in the no brainer box, isn't it? It, it is if 40%. it works. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, every every you take that without even having to ask twice. 
yeah, even if it was only half as good. <laughs> so yeah, that I uh, like I say, apart from being run over by cyber trucks and AWS, that was pretty much all I'd got. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, I, I was happy and, and disappointed when I looked through your notes for us talking today. I said, oh, Robin's got all the stuff I'd got, and I thought I had cool stuff. Well, at least it was cool enough that you'd picked up on it as well. Hey, why? Thank you. Um, right, so I am going to go and get my coat on and go and find Father Christmas in the playground. I hope that doesn't sound as bad as it <laughs> might have, but um, ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I haven't really trailed that. This will kind of be the last show of the year, and then next year, 2020, we'll be back with, I think there's three episodes left of the season, so one more social, one more insight, and one more founder interview. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be back in a bit, and happy holidays. Happy holidays.